doing a series on the Holy Spirit, which is always a very, very important thing to do. Um, Spirit of God is given to us. He is the gift. Jesus said, it's awesome that I'm with you. It's amazing that I'm with you, but I've got something better for you. I've got someone who is better for you. In John chapter 16, I'm going to read you a lot of verses today. So John chapter 16, verse 7, it says, I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I go away. Unless I go, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, he will come. Holy Spirit is given to us to activate all that Jesus has done for us. The Holy Spirit is the adventurer, the enabler, the empowerment of the kingdom of God given to the life of the believer. Without him, we are helpless. And without him, we are hopeless. And without him, we are without power. Right? You guys all have electronic devices Let's just use the obvious one. Let's use the phone. How useful is your phone without power? Huh? Right. This is the thing we're all like, all like antsy about now the, nowadays is power. And some of you, when, you're, when your phone's running low on power, you are looking everywhere for a power source, aren't you? You are like freaking out. And then when you don't have your charger, oh, my gosh, I forgot my charger. You know, some of us should have went into the charger business because how much money is made off of people who have forgotten their chargers? I don't know if you shop, but sometimes they used to be five bucks. Now, all of a sudden, they become 15. I'm like, how did it go from $5 to 15? Probably because they realized that people like me and you lose the charger, and they're like, hey, there's money to be made here. But the point is, is that your phone is useless without power. As a Christian, you're useless without power. But Jesus has given us the Spirit of God sent forth into our lives as a power source. He's not just power. He's a river, okay? So we talked about this last week. We're going to kind of cover it a little bit, and then we're going to go into some other things. John 7 says this. Jesus said, he who believes in me. Say, if I'm a believer. Oh, I got one person. Oh, if I'm a believer, I have a river. And the Holy Spirit is a river who moves in me and desires to move through me. Jesus said, he who believes in me. That qualifies as all of us, doesn't it? That sounds like everybody, who, everybody who's put their faith in Christ and who've submitted their hearts unto Jesus. The one who believes in me, out of their heart shall flow rivers, plural, of living water. And somebody say, well, what's that? Well, John actually gives you a commentary on that, and he actually tells you what it means. And he says, Jesus spoke this concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing would receive. So the rivers of God flowing in and through our lives are relational to the Holy Spirit, right? Revelation, Revelation 22 says this, there was a pure river, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God. So again, we see rivers, this mirror of rivers. Ezekiel had a vision of a river. Okay, Rivers change things. Rivers transform things. Where there is no river, there is no life. Where there is no water source, there is no life. Rivers are water in motion. Rivers transform landscapes. So you get a picture of who we are and what the Spirit's desire to do in our life is. Transform the landscape of your life. Bring life into the areas and arenas of your life. That's what he wants to do to you. And then what he wants to do through you is he wants to use you to transform landscapes. And he wants to use you to trans and bring life into the areas around you. Ezekiel had a vision to the entrance of the temple. Here again, we see him standing in the presence of God. And what does he see? The prophet is a seer. He's seeing a vision and he's seeing a river. He said, I saw a stream flowing from the east beneath the door of the temple. 
passing to the right of the altar on its south side. And the rivers of the stream made the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh. So here again, what does the river of God do? It makes the Dead Sea come to life. The Spirit of God, the river of God, brings life to the dead. You got any dead areas in your life? Anything at all? That's where the life of the Spirit needs to encounter that. That because it brings life to the dead, life, dead, dead places in your emotions, dead places in your relationship, dead places in your finances, dead places in your future, dead places in your faith. Pick one. Pick one. The river of life, the power of God, the river of God flowing into that area makes the dead sea fresh and there will be life. Swarms of living things. The water will teem with life. Fish will abound for its waters will become fresh and life will flourish wherever this water flows. So the prophet is seeing into the future and he's seeing the river that's going to flow from the throne of God. Ezekiel is coming from the past into the present and then John is taking it present now. So you have all three phases of the prophetic working here. You have past, present, and future, all of them talking about a river that relates to the Holy Spirit to bring life and change things. So the river's important, isn't it? The Bible's emphasizing it. The dullness of the believer is direct, directly related to our misunderstandings of the Holy Spirit and the power that's been provided to us. Next slide. You got it? No? You want my help? Technology won't help you? Hold on. Pause that. This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station can, what is, what's going on here? Ah, ha, ha, ha. Yes, all right, pause one moment. This is technology at its finest right here. We have to reset it. Yeah, now I know it's coming back. All right. That's all right. No, no, it's going to come up. It's going to boot. All right. Make it, make it a little smaller, and then it'll probably help. All right. It's still going to go that way. As soon as it comes up, all right. Is it coming? Come on now. Life to the dead right now. We need the river flowing through this projection system right now. Welcome to my world. Technology is an amazing thing, isn't it? Here we go. Yeah, it's electronics. There we go. All right, so just follow that. All right, so if you see here, rivers are supposed to delta. This is what is called a delta, a river delta, all right? So the river, a river, a fast-moving river, when it encounters a slower body of water, deltas. It moves out. So the Spirit of God moving into and through our lives is supposed to delta is supposed to go out. It's supposed to go out in all of these different directions. And if you see, we pointed this out last week, where is the green? The green isn't where the river is flowing. The green is where the river is deltaing. So if you understand that, as the river, as the Spirit of God begins to delta out of your life and move into these areas, that's how life is produced. Just simply having the river doesn't mean that there's life. Just simply having the river in the Christian's life doesn't mean that there's a flourishing field. Can I get a witness? The Spirit of God has to move out into the areas of our life, and he moves out in very specific ways. Next slide. 
Zechariah. So we're going to go into this. Isaiah says the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. So what Isaiah is doing is he's going to give you an idea of what, how the spirit dealt us. And when he breaks out into all these different arenas, what the Holy Spirit or how, what he looks like as he's doing so. Not only what he looks like, but what, say it with me, what is available to the believer. How many knows you cannot access what you do not know you have? If you do not know you have it, you cannot access it. Somebody might go to you, hey, man, you got a safety deposit box. How come you never use it? And you're like, what? I didn't even know I had that. <laughs> you got it. My, my mother used to work for a company, a very wealthy guy, a uh, huge company. And she, my mom used to do a bunch of things for this company, but she had worked with for the owner for a long time. And the company just exploded and grew really big. And so the boss would always lean on my mom for a haul as like little interpersonal things, even though that was not my mom's job. So he, my mom, he would send her to the bank because he trusted my mother to go down and deal with her, her bank, his bank accounts. And so they're down there and dealing and he's switching over all the bank accounts and he's doing all this. And she goes, oh, would you, would you, uh, would you like to switch this one too? Would you like to change this one too? And there was an account with $70,000 in it that the owner didn't even know he had. Huh? How many would like to have a bank account with $70,000 in it that you didn't even know you had? And my mom comes back and goes, uh, Steve, you know, you want, you, you know, you want to do something about this account? He's like, what's that? And so there's an account with 70 grand in it that he didn't even know was there. <laughs> yeah, you want that? We have the spirit of God. The Christian has been entrusted with the riches of heaven. And we have access into an account that most of us don't even know is there. You don't even know is there. The Spirit of the Lord, and how does the Spirit of the Lord work, okay? So here's the sevenfold, you're going to see a cycle of seven. You're going to see a consistent pattern within the scriptures of rivers, of flowing, and a cycle of seven. So anytime there's a pattern, there's something significant. If, say that with me. If there's a pattern, there is an intent in the design. It's no accident that we see rivers, right? Come on, you can say it with me. We, talk, we preach the whole thing together. That's fine with me. We, there, there's an intent, so where we see consistencies of rivers, consistencies of flowing, or consistencies of seven, there's something to be learned. There's something to be said. And I could go off. There's a whole bunch in this. So the Spirit of the Lord deltas out into these arenas. First of all, it's the Spirit of the Lord. So he's the main river. And as he deltas out, he manifests or makes known or makes available to the believer the, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Not seven spirits, one, deltaing. He's one river deltaing out into, three, into, into these seven facets. So we have a, and then we have, a, we have the same picture. Trees are actually rivers. Inside of a tree, there's a river. I don't know if you're aware of this. Mickey's an arborist. What flows through a tree? Sap, right? Sap's primary component is water. So into a tree flows water with nutrients and a whole bunch of other stuff. And when, as it flows through the tree, it begins to delta out into branches, does it not? As it flows through the trunk, it deltas into branches, branches off, if you will. How many knows, is the fruit produced on the bark? No. If you don't know the answer to my question, just say Jesus. I tell people that is always the right answer. If you don't know what I'm saying, just say Jesus, and I'm going to go right. Give that man a prize or that woman a prize. So the, the fruit is not produced in the bark. The fruit is produced in the branches. So the, the, in other words, in order for the tree to produce fruit, the, the sap has to be able to move out. It has to be able to delta. If the tree will not allow the sap to delta, the tree cannot produce fruit. We get the picture? Jesus said, herein is my Father glorified that you produce much fruit. The will of the Father on the life of the believer is that we produce fruit. 
where we got a model here of how the fruit is produced through the outward flow of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. So if we don't get this, you're not going to produce fruit. And the Father will not be glorified. Do we understand this? How many, how many wants to produce fruit? Come on, your heart, the Spirit of God in you wants to produce fruit. You want to give back because the Spirit of God is in you. And so Zechariah sees this vision of a, of a lampstand, a menorah. Okay? How many knows a menorah is a delta? You see the delta? And here again, we not only see a delta, we see a cycle of seven. Again, God is making a pattern for us. The wise will see. The discerning of heart will see. So we have, Zechariah has a vision of a menorah. Why did he have a vision of a menorah? Because there was a guy named Zerubbabel. They had gone back to rebuild the temple. The temple had been destroyed. The people had been cast away. And God had allowed them to return to build the temple, to establish heaven on earth, if you will, to build the presence of God within the city, within the nation, within the world. God had called his people back to do something. And what God had called them to do, say it with me, was too great for them. Come on. That's right. Your life is too great for you. I don't know if you're aware of that. How's it going? That's what I always ask Christians. You know, I don't need church. I don't need Jesus. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I don't need any of that. I got it all figured out. I always ask them, how's it going? Meter's running. If, you know, the, you, you need the Lord. You're not created to live independently. You're not created to, to exist on your own. We have a big value in our country of independence. Independence doesn't work. I just want you to understand that. Because man was not created to be independent. Man was created to be codependent upon the Lord and interdependent upon one another. And there's no independence in there whatsoever. And what we see when, we're, when there's high levels of independence is we see people, we see Christians falling into isolation, loneliness, depression, and no good thing happens out of that. We need the family. And there's no perfect family, Christian. Guess what? The church is a dysfunctional family. Welcome to the family. You say, people are dysfunctional. You better believe it, and so are you. We need the Holy Spirit. People hurt me. You better believe it, and you will hurt others as well. We're to be masters of relationship. The Bible actually gives us a provision when we hurt one another, that we hail one another, that we, that we actually apologize, and we take account for what we've done if we've sinned against another person or hurt another person. And then it commands the person who's been hurt and offended, ready for this, to forgive. We have a hard time with that. Well, I'm going to forgive, but I'm not going to forget. Dude, you're a Christian. You better give yourself a high karate, and you better call on the Holy Spirit, because you were not asked to forgive. You were commanded. And if restitution is offered to you, you are required to accept it. It's not up to you. And you say, if I don't have the power to forgive, well, guess who gives it to you? The Holy Spirit gives you the power to forgive. Every time. You'll, be, you'll have bad moments, and every time you have a bad moment where you're in unforgiveness, you go into the Spirit, and you'll have no problem forgiving, I guarantee you. Just get in the Holy Spirit. You've got no issues with forgiveness. None. None. You're love drunk when you're in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so he sees this delta flowing out. Zerubbabel is being told to do something that's too great for him. And right before he, he shows the prophet this vision, he tells Zechariah to tell Zerubbabel, it is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by my spirit. And then immediately following that, he give, the prophet goes into a vision of what? The menorah that represents the outward flow of the Holy Spirit into the life of the believer. Filled with oil, oil running through the lamp as a river with flames of fire on top of it to symbolize the empowerment of God to the life of the people. 
And so he's telling him, Zerubbabel, you're trying to do this in your own power. You're trying to do this in your own strength. And I tell you right now, the church tries to do the gospel in their own power, in their own strength. We're like the church of Galatia. Who has bewitched you, foolish Galatians? Having begun in the what? In the spirit. How do you think that you can now do this in the flesh? How do you think you're going to manifest the gospel into a world, into a kingdom, into a society, into, into anything without the spirit of God? Spiritual disciplines aren't going to get it done. I got news for you. I'm nothing against spiritual disciplines. I'm nothing against discipleship. I'm nothing against any of that. But without the power of God, we cannot do the things that God has told us to do. And the question is, say it, say it to yourself. When, come on, when am I going to get this? Lord, help me to get this. It can't be done. He told Zerubbabel, you can't do it. You can't do it. So you better understand this. And he gives him a vision of a menorah. He gives him a vision of a delta. Okay? Delta, actually the star of David is a delta. Upside triangle, downside triangle. The symbol of David, up, down, up. That's the letters for the word David in the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew. What does Jesus say? I give to you the key of David. You want the key of David? I don't know what the key of David is. But I know it's got something to do with this, this, and this. It's got something to do with the delta. If you want to understand the key of David, the key of mysteries, the key of power, the key of purpose, the key of the kingdom, then you better understand this. Just saying. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit flowing out through the temple. It's a sevenfold lampstand. Next slide. Manifesting and representing many things, but of the many things the menorah represents. It represents the menorah is multifaceted and multidimensional. When God speaks, it's not always in one dimension. It's multi-layered and multi-dimensional. And so that menorah is a representation of the pattern of the things of heaven in one form and many forms. The tabernacle, the lampstand was placed within a thing called the tabernacle. The tabernacle had a courtyard and the tabernacle had a tent. And inside the tent, so you would pass through the courtyard as you entered into this, literally the how you would get into the presence of God. You would pass by an altar. Right? You entered through one door, not ten, one door. Jesus is the door. You confront the altar of sacrifice. So the way in is through one door, through the altar of sacrifice. The next station or the next place before you get to the tent is something called a laver. It was made out of women's mirrors. The priests were to wash their hands and their faces. How many knows when you're looking into a bowl that's made out of mirrors, what do you see? You see you. Okay? So it means sanctification. The Lord is reflecting you back to you. And he's showing you the areas of your life that need to be cleaned up and dealt with, not because you can do it, because he wants to do it. So we go from the altar of sacrifice to sanctification into the tent, the outer core, the outer tent. And in the outer tent, there's three things. There's the lampstand, there's a table of shoe bread or a table of bread, and then there's an altar of incense. The lampstand was called to re reflect the light, and this bread was called the bread of the presence. And so we see that the menorah, or the power of the Holy Spirit, is intended to reflect the bread of his presence, to manifest the fullness of the presence of God. Not only that, when they would go to light the altar of incense, they were to light the menorah first before they lit the altar of incense. In other words, the spirit needs to be burning before prayer is burning. In other words, or prayer, the fire of prayer, comes from the spirit of God. It come, doesn't come through ritual. It doesn't come through checking off lists. I got nothing against that. If that's where you're at, then that's where you're at. Read the prayers, you know, whatever, the Book of Common Prayer, all that stuff. If that's where you're at, then that's where you're at. But that's a lower form of discipleship. Just be aware of it. 
And there's a whole other, there's a whole other level. If you're reading and reciting prayers, you should do it. That you should do it with the Spirit of God. Lord, give me the power and the Spirit to speak out these prayers and to declare these prayers and to call on these things. So we see the menorah placed in this place in order to light his presence and in order to ignite prayer, worship. It's a repeating sequence of a delta. It's a pattern of seven. If you really want to get down on it, and I don't really have a lot of time, Isaac had seven wells in the book of Genesis. Seven wells. Seven wells of what? Water. Is that coincidence? Oh, I don't think so. The first three were, were ones his father dug. The next three were ones he dug. And the seventh one is one he found. And you know what the last one is called? Fullness. So fullness is discovered when we redig the wells of our father and we dig the wells of now and we, we, we will discover the fullness of God. In the pattern of seven, in the cycle of water, it's all there, it's right there. You guys can play with that and look at that. Abraham was faith. We have to redig the wells of faith. Isaac is promise. We have to dig the wells of promise. And then we will receive fullness. We'll start to understand fullness. Faith and promises, fullness. Get the picture? So we have to recognize the Spirit of God. We have to recognize what's available to us in order to be intentional with what he's given us. Right? So the first one, so here it is. He's given us again the same thing. Spirit of the Lord. So the first part of the, of the sevenfold uh, manifestation, if I can use that word, of the Spirit is his presence. Without his presence, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Until you, Christian, learn to practice the presence, nothing else is going to happen in the intended manner. Okay? So here's what I would say. You'll have measures of it, but you won't have fullness of it. Fullness comes when we enter his presence. We have to learn to practice the presence of God. Learning to allow his presence over and in our lives, entering into his presence, the atmosphere of who and what he is. If you don't do that, nothing else is available to you in its fullness. There's always measure, but I'm not really interested in measure. I want the, the fullness. I want the fullness. And so we have to learn to practice his presence. They didn't gather around sermons and songs. Sermons and songs are important. But if a sermon and a song and church services are not structured around the presence of God, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. We're nothing more than the Moose Lodge. Coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. The presence of God must be encountered. That is what we strive for. It's what I strive to bring you when I teach you is the presence of the Lord. It's what we strive to bring you when we do a worship. We pray. Everything is re related through everything else. It's an instrument to encounter the presence. Everything is an instrument into his presence because it's from the presence that everything else flows. We get this? It's the presence. Say with me, Lord, Lord teach me, me to practice, practice the presence. So then we have from there, we have the spirit of wisdom. What is the spirit of wisdom? It's supernatural creative abilities. Anybody want some supernatural creative abilities? It's divine insight. It's actually an ability. The Bible relates it, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Paul said. So wisdom is directly connected to revelation. It's divine insight, divine understanding. It's actually what keys into you the vision, the vision of God, the vision of things in front of you, the vision. It's an, it's an immediate thing. It's a future thing. It can even be a past thing on how to deal with the issues that, that are following you. It's a, it's a supernatural creative ability. Next slide. Wisdom is an adornment and a promotion. The Bible says if you will love wisdom, she will promote you. Whoa. So we get promotion through wisdom. 
We get wisdom through the Spirit of God. My friend was just telling me this week, he said, you know, wisdom walks in the path of righteousness. You want to find wisdom? Walk in what is right to God. You will find wisdom. Wisdom is an adornment. The Lord says, love her. She will be a crown upon you. She will be a jewel about your neck. Wisdom adorns you. Wisdom separates you. Wisdom makes you beautiful. Your creative abilities given to you by the Spirit. Your creative insights given to you by the Spirit adorns you. Look at Exodus. Moses is tasked with building this temple. He has to build a menorah. He has to build an altar. He has to build a, 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 a table for shoe bread. He has to build an ark. He has, to, he has to do that and a whole lot more. He has to make curtains. He's got to do clothes. He's got to do this whole amazing thing, and they don't know what they're doing. And we undervalue this a little bit because these people, for the last 400 years, have been making bricks. They've been cleaning houses and making bricks, which means they had no skills in metalwork. They had no school skills in jewelry. They had barely any, any, any uh, skills in making clothing. So what needed to happen? There needed to be, say with me, there needed to be a supernatural impartation. Here it is. And the Lord filled them with the Spirit of God. So here we have it. Spirit of God, presence, wisdom, and understanding. You see the immediate? So he gives them the Spirit. Fills them with the Spirit, and out of the Spirit comes the first two, wisdom and understanding, and in knowledge, in all manner of workmanship, to design the artistic work. See the creative ability? In gold, in bronze, in silver, in cutting and setting jewelry, and in carving wood, and to make all manner of artistic workmanship. Where'd they get the ability? They got it from the Lord. The Lord imparted something to them that they didn't ordinarily have. He enhanced or ignited maybe an innate ability that they had, but he brought it to a whole other level. Comes from the Spirit of God. Some of you need creative abilities. Some of you need creative insights. One word from God will change your season. One word from God, one wise word, one wise direction, one artistic creative ability in your life will change everything. Your resources lie in your creative ability. I don't know if you know that. It's the Lord your God who's given you the ability to obtain wealth that you might establish your, his presence in the land. So you have the ability to create wealth. Where? God's given it to you. Every believer has the ability to generate wealth. How do you know that? The Bible tells me so. Where is it found? In your creative abilities. Where do I get that? From the Spirit of God flowing through me in the areas of wisdom. It's a partnership. It's a relationship. It's a receiving. It's a learning. It's a growing. Understanding. Understanding is the how to the what. The wisdom shows you the what. Understanding tells you how. And the Lord said, God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, might give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So there we have it. In the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of your calling. So Paul's going to break out about four or five of these right here in that verse alone, which I do not have time to get into. If you can go back and read it, Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. So we have understanding. So it's one thing to see a vision. It's another thing to understand how it, it's to be done. You understand that? So God can show you something, and he will show you things, and where we fail is we don't know how it's going to happen because we believe that it's our responsibility to figure it out. Say it with me. It is never my responsibility to figure it out. Say this with me. It is my responsibility to partner with his spirit. So what he gives you, he intends on doing. And so where we don't, what we don't do is we receive a lot of times Christians get visions, but they don't partner into the understanding how do you want me to go about this, Lord? What is it that you want me to do? I was just sharing with Sherry. I had this guy. He's like, oh, man, God's called me to write books. You know, I just know it. Lord's called me to write books. 
I've shared this one before because it's a real simple one. I've got more, but this one's real easy. It's like I even got a prophetic word. You're going to write books. You're going to write books. This has been going on for two years. I look at him. I go, you writing any books? He's like, no, no. I said, have you written a chapter? You got a title? You know, you got the first sentence? He doesn't have anything. He's just waiting on Jesus to show up and hand him a manuscript. And I told Sherry, what's he waiting for? The Lord to wake him up in the middle of the night and give him a typewriter or give him a laptop and go, let's go. It's time to write. You have to partner with understanding. If he's given you a wisdom, a creative insight, but you've got to step into it. You've got to do something. And this is, again, where the Christians have to confront their cowardice. We are cowards. Okay? It's okay. I come to the front of the line on that. In my flesh, I am an absolute coward. But in the spirit, I am a lion. In the spirit, you can take my life, and it won't bother me. But in the flesh, I might think about that a few times. Huh? We have to take the vision of God, and we have to partner with it into understanding. Jesus says this, to you it has been given to know and to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. What? To the believer, to the Christian, through the power of the Spirit, it has been given to us to know and to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. So what do we have here? Number one, there are mysteries. Okay? So when pastors and churches think we got it all figured out, and denominations and doctrines think we got it all figured out, I would say, uh, what is he saying there? There's mysteries. There are depths and realms that are unknown. To you it has been given to understand the depths and the realms of the unknown, of the kingdom of God. The realm of the king's dominion, the rule and the reign of God as it breaks out and what God wants to do with his rule and reign, it is, it is, it is shrouded in mystery because Jesus doesn't cast pearls before swine. He does not give trinkets to those who do not appreciate them. He gives the value to those that are hungry for it. Yes, he blesses all believers, but intimacy is for those who dwell close with the king. Secrets are for those who want the heart of the king. You understand that? Yes. But he doesn't hold it from you. The question is, is, are you willing to be intimate with him? That's the question. Intimacy requires vulnerability. And here again, as a believer, if we're going to get into this stuff, you've got to confront your vulnerability. You've got to confront it. And you've got to realize Jesus already knows everything about you, so what are you hiding anyway? You know, you know what I'm saying? He already knows. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And what? He knows all things. He already knows. Got it? So intimacy, understanding, revelation partnered with understanding. He shows you the how. He shows you the how. And how comes in very simple terms sometimes. Very simple terms. It, sometimes how is simply preparing to you to learn because there are things that you don't know. God's given you a vision, and there are things that you don't know. So he's preparing you in the knowledge. He's preparing you in the understanding. He's preparing you in the fortitude that it takes to actually bring about the vision. Sometimes God is dwelling down within you a depth of character, and he's giving you the ability to stand, because if he gave you the vision without your character, you would fall. It's not that he won't give you the vision. It's that he wants to instill some things into you, and he wants to draw some things out of you and confront some things within you that will prevent you from achieving what he set before you. Next slide. I don't know if you all are taking notes, but this is good stuff right here. I don't know about that. Mm, I'm going to have to listen to this one myself. <laughs> Spirit of counsel. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. It's the word secret, admonishment, and advise. Again, it comes from intimacy. Holy Spirit will advise you. 
Holy Spirit will admonish you. Some of you guys, you get down and you get depressed. You get in the spirit and you say, Lord, speak something good over me. Release something good over me. Encourage me, Lord. He will admonish you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are loved. You learn to hear. This is why prophetic is so important to the Christian. Learning to hear and discern your father's voice. He will advise you. He will reveal secrets to you. He'll let you know stuff going on that you wouldn't ordinarily know. He will admonish you, encourage you, and he will advise you. In the book of Job, Job said it is the friendship of his counsel. It relates to the intimacy of a friend. It is intimate knowledge. This, that's what it relates to. So he gives to us these things. This is what's available to you, Christian, but you can't call on it if you don't know it's there. You can't activate it if you don't know the first key. The first key is his presence. Presence, what do you need? Which river you want to swim down today? What do you need? Power, it's kratos, Greek, and dunamis. Kratos is inner, inner strength, and dunamis is outward power. Okay, going to pray for the sick? Well, the first thing you're going to do is get in his presence because dunamis is activated through his presence. Everything comes from his presence. So we have to learn the discipline of presence centering, learning how to get in his presence, centering ourselves in his presence, and then going forth from there. We get this? Okay, this is very important. Okay, if you will understand this, you will be a powerful church. I'm telling you. I kid you not. If you will understand this, you will be more powerful than 90% of believers in the world. 90% of Christians don't understand this, don't have a clue. They don't have a clue how to activate this. They don't have a clue how to step into this. They don't have a clue on how to draw from it. Not a clue. You think I'm crazy? Look around. Look around. I'm serious. Look around. We believe that it's God, God's will has imparted his spirit to his people. All that we have need of has been provided. All that we have, where, why do we need? I need money. No, you need the creative power of God operating in your life. That's what you need. You need the wisdom and the discernment, the creative power to say no and the creative power to say yes. You need the kratos of God, the inner strength, the inner fortitude to say no, the inner fortitude to move away from those things that are destroying you. You need the dunamis, the outward demonstration of the spirit. Paul said, I did not come to you with cunning words and crafty words of men. I didn't come to you with magnificent sermons. That's what he told the Corinthians. I didn't dazzle you with my theological knowledge. Nothing wrong with theological knowledge. It's very important. But Paul said, I didn't present that to you. I presented you the demonstration of the spirit and power. Hmm. And you know what he actually goes on to say? If they can't demonstrate power, you shouldn't be listening to them. <laughs> Preach that one in today's 21st century church. See where that takes you. That's what Paul told the Corinthians. He said, you're following people who can't demonstrate power. If they can't demonstrate power, you shouldn't be following them. Because that's not how I taught you. That's not what I brought forth into your life. And Paul was the most prolific teacher there's ever known to man. They're studying Paul to this day, the things that God showed him and the abilities that he had. Second to none. There's nobody even close to Paul. Yet he said, the power of the Spirit and the demonstration of the power of the Spirit is far more important than that. And that doesn't mean that that's not important. Knowledge, spirit of knowledge. Knowledge is knowing and an assurance. What does it mean? You know that you know that you know that you know that you know. How do you know? I don't know. I just know. I just know that Jesus loves me. How do you know? I don't know. 
I just know. I don't feel like it, but I just know. There's some part of me that just knows that I, he loves me. He, I know that he's for me. I know it's going to work out. Hmm? You want to know it's going to work out? Paul said, we know all things work together for the good of those. Well, where does the knowing come from? From the Spirit. Get the Spirit. You're going to know. God's going to work it out. You may not know how, but you know. You may not know when. You may not know where, but you know. You know that you know, that you know that you know. You just know. It's a knowledge given to us. It is actually the word intimacy, and it is the word that Adam used with Eve. Adam knew Eve and gave birth, literally, gave birth to a son. It is an intimacy. Into me, you see, these things are activated in their truest and purest form through intimacy. That's why presence is important, because presence is the first step in intimacy. Presence, and from intimacy, activates all of these things. Paul says, I've, I, I, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I what? Would know Christ. That I would be intimate and what? Be found in him. There it is. Intimacy. Next slide. The fear of the Lord. What does the fear of the Lord mean? Let me just free you this morning. And just lift the blanket of heaviness off of you. Come on. We think the fear of the Lord, oh, we've got to fear God. we got to fear God. Running around. Is Jesus seeing? Is he going to hit me in the head? Oh, my gosh. You know, i got to fear God. Fear God in the scriptural context is the reverence and awe of his heart and of who he is. The spirit manifests through the believer awe, an atmosphere of awe and an atmosphere of wonder. When you know him, when you walk with him, when you understand how he is, you will revere him. You will honor him. Paul said, it is the love of Christ that compels me. He didn't say it's the baseball bat of Jesus that compels me to obey him. You know? It is the brimstone of God that compels me. You say, well, wait a minute. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Yeah, that's talking about the sinner. And that relates to sin, righteousness, and judgment. But to the Christian, there's no, no condemnation. There's no condemnation. God does not motivate you with fear. He motivates you out of love. And how do you know his love? When you see how he moves in your life, when you learn his heart, you, why would you want to follow anyone else? No one's, first of all, no one's got what he's got. No one does for you what he does, and nobody loves you like he does. Where, why would you want to go? He is not against you. He's for you. He is for you even when you're against yourself. I screwed up. Yeah, but you know what? He's still for you. He's still for you. Love believes all things. He believes in you. More than you believe in yourself. Huh? His belief in the believer's life isn't so much in the person as much as it is in his spirit that's within the person. God has little to no belief in you. I should correct what I just said. He has little to no belief in you, but he has absolute belief in himself. And he has absolute confidence in himself. And he knows what he's put within you. And he knows that there is no failure that can prevent your destiny. He knows that there is nothing that can prevent what he desires to do so long as you don't quit. The only thing that disqualifies the believer, the only thing, is quitting. You will say with me, I will win if I do not quit. Yeah? Do not be weary in your well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. You will reap if you don't quit. That is a promise. That's not a, that, come on. I know that means something to somebody. 
right. Aren't you glad? He loves you. To know him, to revere him, it also is the ability to release yourself from the fear of man. You afraid of people? Do people intimidate you? Get in the spirit. I don't know if you know about Peter. Peter was afraid of people, right? You see him with Jesus, he's getting crucified, and he's warming himself. And the little servant girl goes, hey, you were with the Galilean. I wasn't with the Galilean. What are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, we recognize your accent. You got that little country Hebrew going on there, right? And he's warming himself. He said, no, I wasn't. And they kept accusing him, and he cussed. I don't blankety-blank know the man. And he ran away. Peter feared people. Yet we read in the book of Acts in chapter 2, Holy Spirit's on him. He didn't fear anybody. He didn't fear anybody. He got up and boldly proclaimed to people that were wanted his head. They would have killed him for what he was saying. He was profaning, to them, he was profaning their faith. And he was calling out blasphemies because he was proclaiming Jesus as God. Yet he had no problem with it because he was bold as a lion. And then we see Peter again, later down the line, again, in the flesh. And Paul has to confront him because he's going back to the Jews and going, oh, hey, listen, you know, I know I'm hanging out here over there with these Gentiles, but, you know, I'm really Jewish. You know, I'm really kosher. I just want to let you know that. And Paul said, I withstood him to his face. And I said, you are not modeling the liberty of Christ to these people. Well, what was Peter's problem? God's given us a vision. Out of the spirit, in the spirit. Out of the spirit, in the spirit. In the spirit, you're bold. You should not be condemning of yourself because you fear people. Because the fear of people is in us. But the faith of God is manifested through the spirit. And he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So anything that is born of this age that you inherited through your DNA is overcome by the spirit of Christ that is within you. So we got to stop pretending this stuff as believers. we got to stop pretending that we're all encompassing power at all times because you're not. You're not. You're not all encompassing perfect at all times. You're not. But in the spirit, au contraire. Now when we're in the spirit, the perfect law of liberty is fulfilled. There's the, you, are, you are who you are. You are the true you in the spirit of God. And what we do is we beat ourselves up and we condemn ourselves and we self-condemn ourselves because of behaviors that we do outside of the spirit. God's not condemning you. He's telling you get in the spirit. Your identity is not over here, Kevin. Your identity's in the spirit. So get in the spirit. That's what he's telling you. Right? And, and what happens is, is we've infected a generation of believers that don't understand this. Righteousness to God is the perception and the perspective and the positioning of the heart. It's not externals. Righteousness to God is not based on externals. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your righteousness is fulfilled in the spirit. Just look at yourself in the spirit, man. Practice the presence and see what an amazing person you actually are. Practice the presence and see how bold you are. See how inventive you are. See how creative you are. See how powerful you are in the Spirit. If you guys don't know anything about the Holy Spirit, you need to practice the presence. You need to say, Holy Spirit, I need to be baptized and filled with your presence. Because it's everything. It's everything. we got a church that's focused on externals. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do. <laughs> Pastor, do you know there's sin in the church? And then they want to tell me about something. They don't do it anymore because I'm like, yeah, well, I got about five or six other things that you don't even know about. <laughs> Jesus isn't freaked out because he's calling us forward. He's calling us forward, right? And we want to point fingers at each other. And we have to ask the question, is this who you are? And is this the person you want to be? 
Because if this is not who you are, then stop living by a false identity. That's number one. Stop living by what other people tell you you are. Stop living by who you tell yourself you are. Stop living by false identities. That's number one. And then number two, if this is not where you want to be, then do what you've never done. Because you're not going to get there doing the same things that you've always done. If you want something different, you've got to do something different. If you want what you've never had, you've got to do what you've never done. You have to confront these things. We have to get real about this. We have to pretend. Jesus is not interested in veneer. I got, I got news for you. He's, you know, the church is full of hypocrites. I'm like, yep, there's room for one more. Come on down. <laughs> it doesn't mean we're not to live out of that. We need to take off the airs of our hypocrisy and stop pretending that we're not what we're not. Because there's one who gets the glory. It's Jesus. In Christ, we are all things. In Christ, you're the new creation. In Christ, you are the righteousness of God. In Christ, in the spirit, guys. Does this make sense to you? Yes. I need to, there needs to be a burden of condemnation lifted off the Christian's life. Either Romans is true or it's not. There is therefore now no condemnation. Either that's true or it's not. And if it's not true, then we should take the whole book of Romans and throw it out. Because if there's one untruth in that book, that means the whole is corrupted. But I can assure you that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit, you see where the law frees us? In the spirit, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets us free from what? Condemnation, the law of sin and death. That's for somebody. That's for somebody. All right, I got to close. Come on. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Just open up your hearts. I'm going to partner with this. I want you to see like your belly, right? I want you to see like a, I, I don't care how you imagine it, but I want you to see a well. And I want you to see that well that's been capped. And I want you to see the cap coming off that well. Maybe it's just coming off on its own. Maybe some people are lifting it. Maybe you're lifting it. I don't know. But I just want you to see the cap coming off the well. Again, however you see it, in the spirit. And now I want you to see rivers coming up out of that well. I want you to see water just beginning to geyser. I want you to see like a geyser coming up out of that well. Out of that well. And as that geyser begins to flow, it begins to turn itself into a river. It begins to not just flow in you. I want you to feel the river. I just feel like water. If you feel it, experience it. If you see it, see it. If you can't feel or see, then just do it by faith. Just do it by faith. And just let the river move in you, move through you. And I want you to see that river not just filling you and moving through you. I want you to see it flowing out of your life. I want you to see it going in. If you see some areas in your life, you want you, I mean, if you have financial problems, I want you to see the river going into that area. If you're having family problems, if you're having emotional problems, if you have any kind of problem you're having, let that river come in there and let it bring life to that area. Let it bring change. Let it shift the environment and let it bring change. Okay? So once you see that flowing out out of your life into those areas, whatever it may be, the Lord knows, so you may as well partner with him. Let it happen. Identity, whatever it may be. And I want you to see it flowing out of you into the world, into the world around you. I want you to see yourself standing I see people standing on mountains facing cities. I see people standing on streets facing towns and villages. And I want you to see that water coming out of your life. I want you to see it flowing into homes, flowing into households. I want you to see it flowing into the areas around you, everything around you. Just let the water move. I just want you to see that. And I want you to say this with me. Yes, Jesus. I want you to say this. Yes, Jesus. All of this and more. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. Just release your spirit, release your presence, release your power, release your purpose. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, 
we're going to pray a prayer of entrance into the kingdom. It's a simple prayer. All you got to do is open your heart and receive. And the church will pray with us. Everybody's going to pray with you. So you're not alone in this. We're a family. You say, I don't understand it. You don't need to understand it. You need to believe it. Belief is a choice. Belief is a determination. You just need to believe it. I didn't say you need to understand it. And so let's just pray this out and pray it together. You just open your heart and you choose. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me bless you one more time. Here, come on. Here's more. Say it with me. There's always more. That's right. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And forever may you live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Don't forget your peep bag.